BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer Blondie. This is Roland Olsabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the Modern Drummer Podcast. I'm Modern Drummer's CEO, publisher, David Frangioni, my co-host, Billy Amendola, and we're here featuring the world's most prolific drummers, listening to what they have to say and bringing to you from inside the studio the world of drumming. Billy? Hello everyone, Billy Amendola. Tune in to some really interesting facts on the Modern Drama Podcast.
Welcome to the Modern Drummer Podcast with my co-host Billy Amendola. And this is really exciting because we're going to be talking about the Soul Station, Paul Stanley's Soul Station record that's just been released. And we have the drummer and percussionist, none other than, of course, Eric Singer and Ray Eastlass. Welcome, guys. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome. We're the Siamese, Siamese twins of drums, but right now we're separated. Yeah. <laughs> for those who don't know, of course, um, you know, Eric has been the drummer in KISS for the last, how many years? Um, I don't know. I can't count that high. Remember, I'm a drummer, Billy. <laughs> this is, you can only count to four. One, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. For a lot of years, anyway, for those that, that could be living on the rock before that, of course, he was with Alice Cooper. And Ray is uh, the percussionist in Chicago at, at this time. And before that, I mean, uh, he's played with everybody, Jennifer Lopez, Backstreet Boys. I mean, he's been on the scene for a long time. And he's one of my hey, favorite percussion players. Eric's one of my favorites, not only drummers, but singers. So guys, tell us about the Soul Station project. So it started out playing live for a little bit. And now you have your, your the debut album out, which Billy and I are huge fans of the record, which we'll get into in a second. So take us through a little bit of the uh, the timeline here and, and then how we got to the record and then we'll talk about the record. Can I, let right. me, let me, yeah, let me say something about that. Okay, this is, okay, so check this out. This is how crazy it was for me. I am, it's a Saturday morning and me and my daughter are hanging out, right? And I, it was, it happened to be record store day, you know, like where you go to mom and pop record stores and you know, so I said, hey, wait in line. Say what? And wait in line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this was five years ago. So I went to, uh, we went to the little mom and pop record store and I'm showing my daughter all the albums that I used to have, like own, right? So I, you know, this is the Led Zeppelin album. And I said, oh, look at this. So I pulled out Kiss Alive 2, you know? And she kind of jumped back because, you know, they're, all your faces are right on the cover of, the, of Kiss Alive 2. So I started naming them. Like this is, you know, Paul, blah, 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 blah. And so then I put the album away, dude, an hour later, my phone rings and I'm looking at it and it says, uh, not, not blocked, but you know, un unknown, unknown caller, unknown caller, unknown right? caller. And I never answered those. I never answered those. I just thought, well, let me, I'll hit it. Boom. Hello. Hi, can I speak to Ray? And I said, yeah. And he goes, hi, uh, uh, this is Paul Stanley. Um, uh, uh, Sean Hurley gave me your number and I'm wondering if uh, you're available for a gig. I'm doing at my son's school and, you know, and I was like, Paul Stanley, like the Paul Stanley. And then I thought, no, Paul's not going to be calling me up. Right. And as he's talking, I'm recognizing his voice. Like this is fucking Paul Stanley. And he's like, okay, so is this your cell number? I said, yeah. And he goes, great. Can you do the gig? I said, of course. And he goes, yeah, Eric's on the gig. It's a fun band, but we're doing a lot of old Motown stuff. It's something I've always been wanting to do. And it's going to be a blast. I'm going to text you my cell number and email address. And, and he goes, we're in South America right now. And we're about to hit stage. So I'll call you when I get back into town. And I was like, okay. And hung up the phone. And I was like, what the hell? That was Paul Stanley, you know? A week later, I meet Eric at rehearsal. You know, we're the first time we, you know, first time meeting the guys, right? Though, I mean, I knew the drummer, I'm sorry, the keyboard player, the musical director, Alex Andrioni and... Um, and Sean, but that was it. You know, I knew Hoffa too, the guitar player. But we just instantly with Eric, me and Eric gelled 
instantly, like drum and percussion as if we've been playing forever, you know, and it was just pocket. It was pocket. You Why know, do you think that is, moving. Eric? Why did you guys gel so quickly? Um, well, I think it has to just do with li people listening to each other more than anything. I mean, there is a certain feel thing involved, obviously, that people, like they say, the, the intangibles, you know, the je ne sais quoi, that little, the little things that you can't put into words. But it really comes down to, I think, always having, I always have open ears, open eyes. So I really try to listen to everybody in the whole band. And, and then I realize, okay, I need to play with him. You know, and I'm not following him. He's not following me. We're playing together, together. You, you know, I, I got to tell you, it really goes back to me. I, I, I learned a lesson when I saw the Doobie Brothers twice, like in 80 and 81. And the Doobie Brothers had two drummers and a percussionist in the middle. One thing I walked away from the first time seeing them was, wow, this groove at Temple was so, so deep and locked in doesn't matter. The band is not going to pull them off their mark. They are going to hold the fort down. So, and I noticed that they played more simplified because together you create a bigger sound by playing more simple. And then each person fills a certain part of that percussion, percussion landscape, if you will. And uh, I think by playing simple, listening to each other, you can learn to kind of interweave and then lock in better. And then you create this bed or foundation for the band that's undeniable. And uh, it's not going anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's a great, yeah. That, well, like, like you said, either it gels right away or it don't. And you can know right away, you know, if it's going to gel or not. And both of you guys, the credit that both of you guys just know how to play for songs. You know, as much as like you can wail on the timbales and you can play all this Latin off rhythm stuff. And and Eric, because you're a vocalist, you really know how to play for a song because you know what makes a song. So musically, you guys are musical players. So you're automatically making music together. And, it, you know, that you can't beat that combination when that happens. It, it, it's that you said something very important right there, Billy, playing for the song. And that's exactly what I noticed with Eric, because one, I remember, I remember at one, um, one of the rehearsals, Eric, Eric was like, well, I'm going to not play too much hi-hat because you're playing the tambourine and I don't, you know, you're covering like that hi-hat part with the tambourine or the shaker. And it's, and I was like, yeah, that I, yeah, that's, you know, we, that's how the, the glue happens. You know, and, and when you say playing for the song, it's so true. I've done sessions in my studio where I listen back and I'm thinking, I'm too busy. Let me redo the congas or let me play, not play the slap on the conga because right. the drums are handling the two and the four. If, if it's not a Latin tune, you know, then you, I kind of, I call it the air slap or the air hit of the tambourine. So it's not extra. It's just, you know, like, because you're still giving it, you're still giving it the feel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we, it was, we, we didn't even have to tell each other to do that. That just happened automatically. So he's right. We just played, we, I think we both were mature and seasoned enough. Cause I think those are two operative words that you need to always think about. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of times people will say, why don't you play more crazy like you did in the earlier days of Kiss? And I, you know, it goes to what Billy's point about once I started singing more and more and more, I started understanding it from leaving the holes and, you know, not stepping on things and, you know, being more complimentary with, you know, and being just holding down the fort, being more rich, you know, the, do the job what the drummer is there to do, which is kind of keep time and hold it, hold it together. 
And especially when you play with a percussionist, that percussionist, if they're good like Ray, they know how to fill all the holes and be complimentary with with the not only the sounds but the accents and how they approach it musically it's almost like you need to play less it's, when you have this big of a band this many people if it's a power trio yeah you could fill it up more and you know because you need to create more sound if you will but with the with a, a horn section and a bunch of other people you need to just hold it down and i i think the one thing that we tried to do when we first started playing these cover songs one thing I noticed, I went online and listened to bands playing those versions. Even some of the artists themselves, they weren't the artists that played on the records, obviously, but guys, how they were playing it live. And they noticed, wow, they're playing some of these songs really fast, or the drummer's not even playing the same beat that's on the original version. So I made it a point to go, hey, I got to make sure that I'm playing these parts as close to where they originally were played in the proximity of the right tempos and all that. Because I, you know, I'm not like most of these other guys, Ray will tell you, like Sean Hurley and Alex and Rafa and all these guys, these guys are more yo-cats. They come in, they can listen to something a couple times, make a chart and kind of fake their way through it. And we call it faking. Um, you know, it was an old terminology that musicians used to say when they don't really know a song, but they, they have enough musical ability and aptitude that they can kind of fake their way through it. And because uh, they're good listeners and, uh, and, and usually when they're very experienced, they know how to kind of you know, I did a lot of casuals growing up. So you'd have sometimes a different horn player on the gig. And, you're, you know, my dad would call out the tunes and say, like, you know, whether it's two sharps or, you know, how much, what key it's in. And you had to play any song in any key on the spot by memory. Yeah. So you I, know, I learned to do things by memory. You just you just took my question. You, you read my mind because I was going to ask you about going back to those songs. Like, were those songs part of your DNA? And did you go back and listen to them and... Uh, that's that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, of course, are you familiar with Earl Young? Earl Young? Yeah. No. no. Okay, so Earl Young was the drummer in the Sound of Philadelphia, the TSOP oh, okay. and and uh, MFSB at, at, at one point. So they did all of those, all the songs that you guys did. He pretty much played on the original recordings of of those songs. So I was wondering, like. You know how you what you just said too. You know how you know a song and you can fake your way through it, but that doesn't mean you know it because I I wanted to know that. Did you go back and listen to those records and Oh know? yeah, I definitely did. I mean I heard those records. Look at I'm six I'll be sixty-three in a couple of weeks. So obviously a lot of this music was out when I was a kid. And right. I had an older sister who was four years older, they bought all the Motown records and bought Chicago. I mean, I was introduced to Chicago, Temptations, Supremes all that stuff because of my older sister. So I have to give credit where it's due. So I grew up with that in the household and around me, but it's one thing to know the song and it's another thing to know the song, to play it as a musician, where you really have to do your homework and take the time to, you know, uh, put, the, put the, you have to put the time in. Rehearsal isn't just when you show up, rehearsal starts at home by listening and being familiar, you know, familiarize yourself with what you're gonna play. But one thing I want to point out that Paul Stanley taught me a long time ago, and it had more to do with singing, but I approach it more to like the drumming thing. Paul used to say, Eric, you need to know what you're saying. In other words, you know, you've got to sing it so you mean it and you're, you're really, really singing the song, not just mimicking it, but actually singing it. So know what the topic's about. And I think the same thing applies to all this music. Really learn the part, the original way the original tempos and all that. That way, when you have, a, that, your point of reference will always be 
from the original place, not some diluted down version five different bands later. And th that's right. what's happened, I noticed, with a lot of these artists. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, it's merely an observation that I went through learning the song. So everybody, all Ray will tell you, we, we took the time to like learn the songs, the right arrangements, the right vocal harmonies, everything. We try to play them more true to the way they were recorded. And a good example, Billy, is that Ooh Child, I didn't even know it was Bernard Purdy until you posted it on Facebook. And I went, <laughs> oh, well, that explains why it's so cool. And I tried to cop as much as I could of most of the stuff he did because the drum track is so cool. And um, I never realized, you know, that there's like 30 different versions that have been released of that song over time. Oh, yeah. Valerie Carter did uh, Jeff Picaro plays on. Uh, was back in the day. Jeff was a big influence. I used to buy any record that Jeff was on. And Valerie oh, Carter, okay. who was also a background singer, uh, you know, uh, God rest her soul. And they, they did that song on, on that album. I, I I didn't you know Kiss was passed I, and I I was I was never like a huge huge Kiss Kiss fan I, I appreciated you know the band and but I was never a huge huge Kiss fan so now I can't believe that you know I, I, Paul an album a solo album by Paul Stanley would be probably one of my favorite albums I've I've been listening to it since it came out nonstop and he did an amazing job because it's hard to do a I mean, we all know that those songs are the greatest songs, they're classics, they're the greatest songs in the history of music. So mm -hmm. right off the bat, you have, have the song. But giving him credit, the songs that he, original songs that he put on there, I had to think, is that is that an original song? Or did I never hear this song? It's like, exactly. he, he, it's so cool that he came up with stuff that even the production, because, but my point is that record is so good and of course, it has a lot to do with you guys too, as, as plays on it. Production-wise, it's just you. Usually, if you hear a classic song, you say nobody's going to do it better than this. So why would I listen to anybody else do it? I would listen to this record and be and just probably more because it, it it it's refreshing and it brings the newness in, but still sounds like the classic. Like, it, like once or twice, I had to listen to say. Is Alexa playing the right song, or is she playing the original? You know that that's how that's how good it is, and that's a big that's a big thing to say. Well, I'll listen to this. You know, as big as this song is a classic and and a, a hit in the history of music, to hear it now and to love it just as much. Yes, it's the song and the production that we all loved back then. But to want to listen to that, I I couldn't care if I listened to the original version or this version. One of the things that blew me away about the record besides the fact that Paul sings it great and performs it great and did great arrangements, uh, which is the, the root of it. But from a drummer's perspective, and I mentioned this to you, Eric, before, I said, when I first heard Soul Station, when it was just YouTube videos, and I said, Eric, you sound really authentic. Like it sounds like the drummers on those records, which has nothing really in common with how you would play with Kiss or Black Sabbath or these other bands you've played with. And so, and you said to me, without missing a beat, no pun intended, you said, I do my homework. I, I get into the zone and it becomes about what is, needs to be channeled to get it right. And that's how it sounds. So, you know, share, share something about that. I, I appreciate that, but I gotta tell you, Ray, I was gonna say, because of guys like Ray and those guys, I knew coming in, these guys are different kinds of musicians. I mean, they, these are yo cats that literally chart stuff out. And I thought, 
I have to make sure when I show up that I cannot be the odd man. I, I cannot be the weak link. I have to make sure I've done my homework. So Ray will tell you, you never see a piece of paper or nothing other than a piece of paper with the tempos, because I'll start the tempo with a, a click track, you know, light, just for reference, but um, when we're playing live. But other than that, I don't have a piece of paper. I don't have cheat sheets on it. It's all here. So I know if anyone's making a mistake or anything, I know what, when it's right or when it's not, because I've actually put a lot of time in before I've come to that first rehearsal. Because I felt I owe it out of respect to Ray and Alex and Paul and Hoffa and all the girls. I owe it to them to come prepared. That's just the way I look at it. And, and, and he's absolutely true on that because he, he, I think you were probably the most prepared. Uh, you know, Paul, you, you know, and then it goes into, well, of course the horns, the horns would come in, you know, uh, for the sessions, the recording sessions, they, they do their parts separately. But the rhythm section, when we would go in to record the album, like it was honestly, we had it, I think each song was probably at the most on the second take. Yeah. You know, like the first take was awesome. It was like, it felt incredible. And then the, and then Paula said, let's do it again, just to, just to have another yeah. one, you know, have maybe, maybe three, maybe. Well, I don't, yeah, think, I don't think anything ever went past three takes, never. Uh, yeah. But uh, one thing Paul was adamant about, which I appreciated, see, I like playing with a percussionist because he keeps me honest. Meaning he's gonna make me play straight ahead. Cause sometimes you're, you'll have a tendency, you see a hole, hey, I'm gonna fill it. And uh, the bottom line is a percussionist always keeps that continuity of like, you know, like uh, Derek Sherinian used to play with Buddy Miles, his first gig. And he said, Buddy always told him, you gotta hear the train. You know, that chick, chick, you know, that, that yeah. chugging along, that, that shuffly thing that you, like I call it circular. You should, be, you should always be hearing triplets in your head to keep yeah. it. So it sounds and feels round, not square. I always use the reference of square and round. The percussionist, Ray's going to keep it honest and keep it cool. You know, the percussionist is the glue. So one thing I thought was great, usually a lot of times we, you add percussion later, which we did on some stuff, but Ray will tell you, Paul wanted the whole band there when we cut the track, meaning he wanted bass, drums, guitar, piano, both keyboards, I should say, and Ray, because it was important to create this kind of sound together so it would be glued together. We could really lock it in. And um, I'm glad we did it that way. Even though we were using a quick track, sometimes we had to because Paul had an original tune. We'd all learn it in the morning real quick. We'd run it down with some different parts, talk about it, and then we'd just do it. And everything, every time we did a track right away, we'd learn it and have a, the basic track cut in a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. We would, we would go in. We would go into like maybe do one song and be out of there like in an hour and a half. And then, uh, then Paul would work on vocal stuff and, you know, but it was like, wow, okay, God, I got the afternoon free now. But I remember one time, you know, cause Paul's very, you know, about, he expects you to be on time. And uh -huh. one time I'd be like, oh, where's Eric? And it's five to 10, downbeats at 10. <laughs> I'm literally in the parking lot, walking through the door as he's calling my phone. And it's like, cause he wants to, he doesn't want you showing up on time. No, he wants you there ready to start on time. There's a difference. Yeah. yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a funny story with that, too, because I remember the very first rehearsal we did, and I, Eric was already there. I walked in maybe 30 minutes before the rehearsal. You know, gear is already set up, right? Everybody's in the position, and there's a, a, one, of the, one of the background singers walks in five minutes before, and Paul was like, uh, you know, because they're, they're getting stuff out of the bag, and, you know, and Paul's like, no, 10 a.m. means 10 a.m. 
downbeat. Start, right, start. Because I start at 10. We start yeah. on time. Which is um, awesome, which is awesome because it just showed me how, I mean, like Kiss, you guys, you guys still rehearse before a tour. You guys get in the studio and re and rehearse, you know, and and I remember you were, I was texting you and I was like, what's going on? How are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm in a rehearsal with Kiss. And I was like, man, even though you guys, I'm sure don't have to rehearse, but it's great to but, get but you do have to. loose again. But you do have to, because then I tell people, here's the best analogy that I can use. And it's a sports analogy. Would you, would any football team or basketball team not rehearse or not re do scrimmaging or play at all and just walk out and play a game? Of course not, because they know, guess what would happen? They yeah. get hurt, most yeah. likely. And mm -hmm. you would be out of sync and you wouldn't have, even though they played basketball their whole lives, just like we played some of these songs for 20 or 30 years. Point yeah. is, it's, it's like you have to go through the muscle memory and the mechanics of doing it. So you remind, your brain reminds your body what it feels like to do it. And then it becomes second nature again. And you can get those kind of like aches and pains out of the way. Otherwise, you're going to, you're going to struggle. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, and I'm about, I'm about the same way. I, but being professional, man, like always, and this goes back and Billy, you know, this, every band you work with, there's some, you know, like some groups you've worked with in the past and all this, they call it 1 p.m. rehearsal and you're not starting to like 2, 2.15, right. but yet you show up on time. You're the one there and you're trying to be as professional when other cats are rolling in later. It's like, nah, man, I, I even in my younger days, I hated that. I was like, no, this is, this is what I want to do. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is the rehearsal time one to five one to four or 12 to eight but don't show up late you know absolutely and this this is the reason what that you guys are as great as you are and, and as professional as you are and why you guys worked all these years and made a living out of playing music because everybody just thinks that you know you don't have to put the time and effort into it it's just one big party which we all know that that's the furthest thing from the truth but yeah. i i want to go back to like when we were talking about the recording so Paul, so most of the rhythm section recorded live, right? You, you're yeah. saying? Every, everything. Everything. See, now, and that's the way those records were originally recorded. So, like, that automatically gives it closer to what, to the original recording. So, I like that aspect a lot. Well, we did it, we did it as an ensemble, it together. We didn't just yeah. do, like, oh, just bass, drums, and piano, or guitar. We did everything, including Ray on percussion. And then sometimes... And the great thing is, as Ray will tell you, everybody's very open-minded to suggestions. So somebody might say, hey, why don't you go and put a cobble or why don't you double up on the tambourine in this section to help it glue it together? And uh, so then Ray would sometimes go back in and Paul or somebody might have an idea, or Ray might say, I have an idea, let me put this part on it and maybe build on what he had already put down. But most of the stuff he cut just with us playing like a band. Mind you, yes, we played to a click, but we were playing live and and recorded all the instrumentation together. And then of course they brought in the horn sections later or strings and background right, vocals right. separately. But everybody, you know, it was a guide vocal putting down. Because if you're doing an original tune, we don't really know the song. Um, I like to live with stuff a little bit so I kind of feel like I know it. And then I can play it not from just trying to remember where I'm at in the song. I want to play it like I know it. Because playing when you know something is a little different attitude than just reading a piece of paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's my opinion. And, and here's one thing too, that to keep in, in, uh, you know, to, to understand like where Paul comes from as Eric, as Billy, you know, as you guys, as Dave, you guys know the importance of the same individuals in the session performing 
no subs. It's like, it, you know, there's no subs because it's a band. It's like Paul and Eric, they come from a band. You know, I, you know, like with me, with Chicago, Chicago's the same way. You, you, you don't sub out. You're, you, this is the band. You know, it's like, I remember Paul told me one time, um, he goes, I want to turn around and I want to see the same faces all the time. You know, because it's a family, it's a band. He goes, like, hey, this is the soul station. It's not somebody brand new, oh, hi, you know, a sub, a guitar player, bass, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it's got to be the band. And, and I remember the very first gig we did, Eric, I don't know if you remember when Paul said this, at the end of the gig, he turned around and he, and he said, this is too good to not continue. This sounds so good yeah. with this band. We got to, we can't stop. We just got to keep doing stuff. We started off, uh, it, it all started from Paul, his kids go to a certain school and they do a fundraiser every year. So the first year we did like classic rock stuff, you know, like Free and Zeppelin and Bad Company or whatever. We played cover songs. And um, so the, the next year, Paul wanted to do it again. And uh, I think like, I mean, the Foo Fighters played and because uh, Dave Grohl's kids went to the same school and then Bush played because the singer of Gavin Rossdale, his kids went to the school. So all these groups were playing for just like the parents out in this field at, at this school, like in a football field. That's, and, unbelievable. Um, That's unbelievable. Hey, Billy, somebody took a, a drone and was droning it when the Foo Fighters were on and tried to stream it on one of those streaming things at the time because it was a private thing only for parents and stuff. I mean, there's literally only about 150 people there and the Foo Fighters are playing. And um, <laughs> anyways. It was awesome, yeah. Yeah, it was cool. So anyways, um, Paul wanted to do something different, so he decided to do the Motown thing, and that's when he said, hey, I really dig this. We, I want to keep doing this. And, you know, in the very beginning, there were some other different people that originally played, um, but once he got the group lined up the way it is now, then that's what he, he just kind of found, I think, what he thought was the vibe and chemistry between the people that he thought, I want to keep this, because I think at one time, Ray, one time you couldn't do a gig, you had somebody fill in for you. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, he, but Paul wanted, he wanted you. I remember. He, he wasn't happy. You know, it's funny that, okay, so I, I saw Paul the day later after the, after the gig, right? And Paul grabs my shoulders and my arms and he just went, don't ever do that again to me. <laughs> <laughs> I need this band. And I said, I know. I said, I just, I, I couldn't get out of the other thing. And then it was already, you know, already booked. And, and that well, was. Well, we even had some different singers, remember. We had two, two of the singers out of the three were originally different and they had other gigs. I mean, all these people are really great musicians. They play with, you know, Stevie Wonder and whatever, you know, and they, when you gotta go work, you gotta go do whatever your main gig, that's understandable. But once he found, got settled in with the lineup the way it is on the record, that's what he wanted. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a cool project. How, how, when, when did he, like, um, how, how long has this been a project? Five years. About five, five years. years. Yeah, it's cool. I got, yeah, and you know how I know that is that I got an alert on my phone from Facebook of one of the very first pictures I posted of us at rehearsal. And I was wow. like, I was like, five years? Holy crap. I didn't know it was even that long. So, Amazing. Wait, I, yeah, we went, I have something. I just noticed something. So I'm looking around the room here and I'm looking at Eric. I think we had a sale on Bonham shirts. What are you wearing, Mr. Archi Archivist? <laughs> cool. This is a bit much. So the modern drummer shop, you can get this Bonham shirt. I'm getting that one. Yeah. What? Yeah, you mean I think there's like, this this is on the modern drummer shop? Yes, sir. 
I didn't even know that. That that's yep. real nice. You see, Eric, you see the way I'm treated, Ray. You see this? Are you guys taking this in? You see the way well, I'm treated here? You, you you should be wearing this stuff online when you're doing these interviews, like David is. So you're kind of like you you so you didn't get the memo there, uh, Billy. You're you're out of uniform. That's, that's, I, that's yeah. I didn't even know that we, I didn't even know you know. I didn't even know that we do that. Thank God, because that's not my department, and I don't want another department. Well, modern drummer, modern drummer you, you have all three styles? Yes. Yep. So Eric, you get, you get Eric. the John Bonham uh, inaugural issue, uh, July 84, off the top of my head. Oh, but the first one, the brown one. cover, very iconic. You get that digitally oh, yeah. when you purchase the Bonham package from us. I, re oh, I remember buying that one. I, I took the bus to Tower Records just to buy that one in 1984, that, really? that uh, issue. <laughs> so Eric, wait a minute now. I'm confused here. So Eric, you didn't get that from Modern Drama? I bought it from Cardinal Percussion. Which wow. is who we we partnered with Cardinal and we're selling it at a you know at, in a, as a special bundle deal with the Bonham issue, but it's all the same, it's from the same place, which is Cardinal. As Eric mentioned offline, Cardinal has a deal with the Bonham estate to bring in licensed merchandise. So we partner with Cardinal, so everybody's doing the right thing. And it's great stuff. I mean, we're huge. We're yeah. all huge John Bonham fans. Ray, that means me and you are gonna be getting free shirts. Yes. You get, Large. You get, half, off, you get half off double retail. Large. Um, so Billy. Um, hey, you've been in Kiss too long. <laughs> Cardinal, Percussion, Cardinal Percussion basically is in Ohio. They distribute attack drum heads, which I've been using for 25 years or more, and also Wuhan symbols, and they have the bottom stuff. They got a couple other products, lug locks, things like that. So I've been working with them forever. Um, do you have, wait, Eric, do you have uh, signature drum heads coming or have them out already? I have, I do have through attack. It's a, I make a, a, a batter and resonant head. That's it. They only make the, for the snare 14 inch for the snare top and bottom. What is it? Oh, is cool. it is it a thin batter? Is is it a double layer or what? Yeah, it's a double layer coated. Uh, you know, David, you guys should do a review on it for MD. A hundred percent, we should. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's been thin. fine tuned for rock applications, right? Yep. Oh, yeah, and, but it's and good for a lot of other stuff. I, I, they should have Mark should send you guys a few sets so Billy and other you guys can put it on put it on your favorite drum. You know, set it up the right way the way you like and see what you think. You have a 14-inch snare batter head and a and a a bottom head, and a rezzo. Resonant, a rezzo. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do, do you use it with Soul Station? Yep, I use it on all my snares. Um, but sometimes I'll just go in whatever you like. For the Soul Station record, I used an old pearl wood fiberglass kit, so wood shelves with fiberglass lining, real funky tiger stripe color that I found on Reverb about four or five years ago. Uh, but that kit just sounds good to record. The, it's a 12, 13, 16 standard depth with a 22. And um, the snare I used on most of it was a an older, like the Stuart Copeland kind of snare, the chrome or brass five-inch pearl snare from the 70s. Um, you know, they made two drums in that same configuration. One had the parallel throw-off, and they called that the Jupiter. But the same shell, same drum with a simple throw-off Gladstone-type throw Strainer assembly was also, and they called that just like a rock snare. But you can get that in a five or six and a half. But I also used a acrylic 
pearl, which the old pearl ones, like the new ones, were seamless shells. It's a 5 by 14 It's kind of a amber mango colored one um, that I found online years ago. And I used that also recording. It sounds great. Um, so I actually used all pearl stuff on this and Zildjian cymbals. But uh, I used like ambassador type weight coated heads. And, you know, we just went for more of a, you know, more rounder, warmer 70s type sound, if you will. Eric, did you know that uh, that James Gatson, he still has, he used on a lot of those classic soul records that James Gatson played on, he used a fiberglass kit. Did you, did you know that that was used on a lot no. of some of that original recordings? No, but this one's a wood fiberglass, which a little different than the fiberglass. I mean, live, I used fiberglass kits the last couple of years with Kiss. Those, those, all those kits with the mirror ball wrapping, those are 70s fiberglass shells. And I'm using a phenolic president series snare drum um, live with KISS. And I use that sometimes. I've used that also with Soul Station. It's phenolic material, which is like a plastic fiber type synthetic material that Pearl came out with in the late 60s. And they just reintroduced it for a 75th anniversary kit. So you can get those drums again, but I think it's very limited. I think there's only 75 or 100 kits being made of the phenolic. Yeah, which is basically, it's similar to like Bakelite. Um, the best way to, to try to explain to people what the material is, if you look at a circuit board from old radios and stuff, that's what the material is. Phenolic is basically a resin-based material that is similar to circuitry, circuit boards. Wow. Well, and, and speak, speaking of Pearl, congrats to Pearl, Modern Drummer, Mean David, and all of us, we send our congratulations on 75 years. That's a biggie. Yeah. Beautiful. It's pretty crazy. That's pretty pretty crazy. They've been in business all that long of a time, and they've really, uh, you know, now you can get anything you want if you really want. The great thing is, I'm not trying to over pitch for them, but I'm just the great thing I like about them. You can get anything, any whatever your mind can imagine, they'll make it for you if you want to spend the money and, and have the patience to wait for it. Right. Right. So Ray, what's what's coming up? Um, is I, I mean I, I know like I'm sure you guys would have been on the road. What you know? Any any uh, any talk of when maybe some shows might come back, or everybody well, waiting till next year? No. Well, right now we have with Chicago, we have um, we have dates beginning in June. Yeah, so, really. You have a, you have a Vegas date. Have a what? You have a Las Vegas date. Later yeah, this in year. September we got Vegas like a, a four nights in Vegas, but. But the if you go to chicagotheband.com, there's dates listed beginning in, in June. Let's see how they stick, you know. You know, let's see what's happening. Right now we're recording a new album. Um, we have, man, there's a lot of tunes that have been submitted. And the ones that I've heard and played on are pretty incredible. Any soul station dates coming up? There's I don't I don't know about anything at the time yet but you know we did go you know we went to japan for a lot of people don't know we went and did uh 10 shows there a couple of years ago which was very cool i mean it was a lot of work because we were like we did two shows a night like yeah. old school style right ray yeah that was, a, that was wow <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah. that's two that's shows cool. a night and 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 one after the other did you have days off no we did, uh, we did two shows a night, three in a row, one day off, and the same thing, three days. So we did yeah. 10 shows in seven days. Yeah. That's 12 shows. 12, yeah. 12 so we did 10. There was a day off. No, but then you did three and three. 
Uh, then we did 12, I guess. I, I guess my bad. Yeah, we did three, We did 12, right, Ray? Yeah, and, and two cities, too. We, yeah, we, two cities. Yeah. And then, you know, the, so al okay. the album is, um, like, the last I heard, it's number eight in Japan right now. Uh, that's fantastic. No, it, it, yeah. it, des it deserves, I mean, I wish there was radio stations here. I mean, I, of course, on Sirius, that, you know, they'll, they'll, they're going to play it, but, and streaming, you know, but that stuff would be on all the soul stations. I've been listening to, to uh, the, the soul station lately on uh, Sirius. It's become yeah. one of one of my favorites, uh, you know, because I, I you know, I, I grew up, we all grew up on all that stuff. So it's, you know, you know, it's funny earlier, earlier, uh, Billy, you mentioned how about the comparison to the original material versus the, uh, the, the covers we did. Uh, and yes, it's, it is a beautiful compliment what you said. And you know who said exactly the same thing? Paul was telling me last week, he was having a conversation with Richard Marks and Richard mentioned one of the songs. He said, oh, who played this song? I, I can't remember who the artist is. And Paul said, that's an original song. That's one of the ones I wrote. And how beautiful is that though, you know? Yeah, no, that's the greatest compliment. I mean, yeah, because he, 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 he showed that like, you know, he, he really, it's his heart and soul obviously yeah. but it's it, it's his heart and soul put into this to this project it's not just like hey let me try this out you know let me check this out you know he he did an excellent excellent job it's a great record we we all love it we thank you guys for taking the the time to 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 talk about it with us and um you know hats off to paul it's it, and it's a surprise because you know like i said i i it, people are going to be and that's always the element of surprise is always the best thing you know, and it wasn't hyped before it came out. So, because when you hype something, you know what it's like. You hype something too much, no matter how great it is, there's always a little letdown. You know, no, no, he, he just put out, when I heard Child, that was it. I was hooked. I was like, and at first I didn't even know it was Paul. I was just like, oh, this is really good. And then I found out it was Paul. And I was like, I had to keep looking at the, the credits and, and try to, you know, it, it's just, he did a great, great job. So that's off all you guys. And speaking about and speaking about gear, when you guys were talking about the, the the about Eric's kit, you know, I had to look at my setup as well to think I gotta go old school sound on the percussion, especially with the tambourine. You know, I can't just grab a new tambourine from a stack of LPs that I have. So I had to grab, I had to get the brass jingle older LP tambourine that I had. The kind the, of the, the wooden ones, right? The wooden yeah, ones. Yeah, the wooden ones. Exactly. The wood ones, the wood, yeah. The ones that don't have that indentured so, so it's comfortable on your hand. It's just yeah. all one piece, right? Back in the day, right? But brass. You gotta, work, you gotta work on those too. Those yeah. things. Are yeah. Good. But you yeah, know, you're not used to playing. It's, it's that one hit on the on the uh, tambourine that has a natural reverb on it where you don't have to add anything to it. And I remember uh, Greg Collins, our engineer, he was like, dude, that's the perfect tambourine. I said, I know. And I only use it for sessions. I really don't use it for live. And then for the congas, I went with the LP, the Raul Racao uh, signature series because it's a, it's a New Zealand wood, which is a very warm sound, which was very similar to the congas back then. Because if I would have gone fiberglass, it would have been too tingy and poppy, you know, and, and even plastic heads do not work for this style of music at all. It has to be the, the regular skin, you know, the regular skin. So, uh, you know, you, like Eric, you had to, you know, we, we did our homework on, on gear as well. And, and that just comes natural. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about it. I just thought, okay, sound wise, 
these, okay, hitting the drum, I got to grab this on these drums instead. And, you know, and that's funny that day, I think day one, I had two different sets of congas in the car, making sure that if one didn't work, I grab the other one instead and bring it in. But they, yeah, but Ray, Ray wanted to make sure they matched my drums. <laughs> yeah, the black ones, right? <laughs> and we, that, I think Ray's making a good point about, you know, I've always had a point of view, which I think sometimes people forget about with drums and drummers in particular. Um, think about other musical instruments and the materials that they're made out of. So I always have this point of view that you should use musical sounding materials. I mean, what are they using? Saxophones and trumpets and all that. Brass, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. silver, but mostly brass. So you think people used to use brass, you know, chrome-plated brass rims and brass shells and more like, like or even pearl for a while used stainless steel hoops, which sounded great. Um, so using music type materials, if you will, in the manufacturing of drums and percussion instruments, I think is very important because those metals and woods have a more musical sound. And you really hear it when you're in a studio more under the microscope and how it works with certain types of music. In a live setting, you're looking for projection and volume and you can get away with stuff being like, like Ray said, fiberglass congas and a plastic tambourine because you need to be able to really hit it and you're looking for projection, you're competing with a lot of volume. But in a studio, you're going for warmth and yeah. real tones, so. That's a great, that's great. I, I've, I've never heard anybody explain it that, that complicated, but yet that simple because that's true. I never, I ne I, you know, I'm not a gear guy, so I never really, you know, I, I usually just hit something. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. But I love the way you explain that. Well, that, very, that makes very, a lot of sense. That makes a, a lot, lot of people sense. Don't, a lot of people don't know this. I, I actually worked at King Instruments in the early 80s for about three and a half years making trumpets, saxophones, you know, tubas, and all the brass instruments. I was a welder, like, actually, an, with a oxyacetylene torch, it's brazing, you don't weld, like people think of arc welding when they think of welding, but brazing is a form of welding. But I basically worked there making instruments for three and a half years. So you realize they're using silver or brass to make an instrument. You realize why do they use those materials? Because they have the best musical tonality properties for making instruments. Just like wood, they try to choose it for guitars. You know, right, uh, right. And for the, you know, they use even the neck fretboards. They choose types of wood that have helped with the, the instrument sounding better. That's why I used to use Brazilian rosewood until it got outlawed. Now that's a great. That's a great thing. Thanks for that. I would say the, the more musical materials you use, the better. You see how some guys get analytical about the 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 lug and the the tuning rods and using washers and gaskets, so you create you know less transmission of, of, of you know, unwanted uh, vibration rather than the wanted kind. And um, there's a reason why older wood drums sometimes sound better. It's just, I think a lot has to do with the aging of the wood, but also the molecular structure. Every time somebody's hitting it, if somebody's playing music with an instrument and they're playing it with, I think there's some spirituality to the emotion they put into playing that instrument that it gets that, you know, we call it mojo. Why do we call it mojo? We just know it sounds good, and usually it's mojos are, uh, usually associated with more older vintage type instruments, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you've been to the, uh, Eric, you've been to the museum, right? When you do those rolls around Hal Blaine's original kit, it just automatically sounds like Hal Blaine. It's just like no matter who does that Hawaii 5 0 roll, it sounds like Hal Blaine. 
Yeah, great. At You're right. Dave, and and a lot of guys wanted that. Hey, you know something? I used what I used fiberglass drums the last couple of years because of exactly what you're talking about. You hear that sound in your head. You know, uh, Eric, uh, Eric reminded me of um, we were okay. So we were in the studio, and I forgot which song, Eric, but it's a tune where you hit the floor, Tom, with the snare. Yeah. What song? I can't remember what song it is that uh, with the Soul Station, but uh, could I'm, it be I'm falling in love? It yeah, might be, love that does that too. It might be that one. I'm not sure, but Eric, I was doing some overdubs, right? And then Eric came in, and Eric said, "Do like double my floor tom part on something, so we can." It just sounds thicker, you know. And so instead of using, I think remember uh, the studio, Dave's Dave's room, Dave's place. They had a kit in the back, an old kit. So I grabbed that floor tom. And with a mallet, I was just uh, along with Eric hitting it. But it was so cool because we I did it in one take and knowing Eric's playing as well, there was no flam. It was just boom, you know, listening back to it, you know? And it just, it felt, and that was Eric's idea. Like just hit it, just to make it a little thicker, a little more a foundation with it, you know? I'm sure it gave it another tone too. It gave it, you know, because you didn't want it to sound exactly the same, but you exactly. did want that oomph. Exactly. And, and I think well, it might have been an 18 inch floor tom versus your six. You have a 16, right? In that, in that room? Only a 16, yeah. yeah. So it might have been a little bit, yeah, definitely. But, a little you bit. know, like sometimes they have double, you know, listen to Stevie Wonder, songs in the key of life, and there's two drummers on that record. You have to really put on headphones to focus. But one, Stevie Wonder is one of the drummers, which a lot of people yeah. don't even know that as well. But you know, you could clearly hear somebody playing a different part. It was very common in the old days for people to double track drums and put a second slightly part. And you'll hear a little flaming once in a while, but it gives it character, but it creates this, you know, this foundational like wall of, you know, it's the Phil Spector wall of sound thing by double, yeah. you know, a lot of times you'd have two bass players, two guitar right, players, two right. Yeah. He wanted that thickness that's created. And as opposed to just overdubbing a bunch of stuff, he'd record it with like, simultaneously you know I, i'm a i'm a big big fan of double drumming and playing with a percussion player i mean my whole life i felt naked if i wasn't and that's why when the drum machine came out i i embraced it and i loved the drum machine for that main reason you know to just put the shaker on 16th and the tambourine on two and four without hearing it yeah you know it uh lately well not lately but i've been in years of the habit of doing when i when i record here at home and I got to do, you know, majority of the time there's a shaker track, right? So I'll sometimes uh, shaker dead center and then I'll do a shakere, pan it a little bit to the left and then maracas to the right, kind of doing the same, the same, the similar pattern, but with little, little nuances here and there just to give it more, uh, more of the train, more of the train vibe, you know? And I always put that in the notes to, you know, any of you producers out there listening, it's it's pan the shakere, pan the 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 maracas, but leave the shaker dead center. So it's it's like coming at you like this, right? And it sounds so nice, man. When especially when the like with with the hi hat, yeah. Oh with, my God, with, yeah. That, with the hi hat is like so. It, 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 that alone, sometimes that's all it needs. That's all the track needs, you know. And I I, I always 
listen to make sure not too much going as you know you know don't want to get unless it needs it unless it needs it you know like what we did there was a couple of songs that did not need gongas on this album and it was just more tambourine shaker groove stuff and that was it you know which i remember listening back going paul i don't think it needs gongas and he's like okay cool let's move on to the next one yeah yeah why force something and look even back in the day of the beatles i mean when you you know back then you didn't even pay attention to the percussion but then as you you know got into it and observed those, those recordings and now especially the the tambourine parts and the and the little bits of percussion that they had in some of those songs, the groove would never have been the same if it wasn't for that percussion. I remember yeah. Ringo saying at one point in uh, the making of Sgt. Pepper, Ringo's like, and and the band wanted congas on it. And he goes, I'm not a percussionist. And he goes, and my hands were hurting because I had to play conga drums. And yeah. <laughs> but he yeah, played, well, sounded great what he played though, man. <laughs> but I, I gotta tell you though, the one thing I've learned, Ray, um, and I've done this before, you know, could I play some of the percussion parts if I had to? There was nobody else there to do it. I'd be like, yeah, but I've, I've learned that guys that play percussion for real, I mean, that are that that's what they do. It's a completely different technique, and they know how to get the sound and the evenness the right way. That's why you bring them in. So I'm smart. You know, they say a smart person knows what they do and they know what they don't do. And I've always, I remember doing a Kiss record years ago and we brought Luis Conte in because I said, bring in this guy, bring in Luis because, you know, uh, I, he's a real percussionist. He's going to give it the right feel, the right mm -hmm. placement and the, it, where it needs it. And also the point of view, which is the most important thing of all. Percussionist is going to, if they've done a lot of work, they're going to go, no, I don't think this will work this well. Let me try this. Right. Let me show you. And you go, oh, wow, that's really cool. And um, so I remember we did Carnival Souls record. We brought Luis Conte in to do all the percussion upon my suggestion because I thought, you know, I, in fact, when we did one album with Bob Esrin, I had Bob Esrin do all the percussion because he was good. He was, e you know what it is? He was really even. He just had the right technique with the tambourine. He'd obviously done it many, many times. I thought, you're better than me at it, you know, I can see somebody else needs to do it that does it better than me. That's good. Tambourine, tambourine, Jack Ashford, uh, right from the Walt I mean, tambourine playing, people think that, you know, so anybody could play oh, tambourine. No. no way. You know how many background singers I would have to sit, take the tambourine away from them because they were completely <laughs> throwing off my group. Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, that's okay. Don't, don't, please don't play the tambourine. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. you know what? I was, I was doing, check this out. I was doing a gig with Aretha Franklin, right? And we, we, uh, you know, we're sound checking. This is at, not the Staples Center, the Nokia Theater in LA. And, and I, you know, I pull out the tambourine and put it on the percussion table. 
And this girl comes over to me, one, one of the, the band, the original, her band members, right? Because it was her band member with, with some LA guys. So she comes over to me, she goes, uh, honey, no, um, I got the tambourine parts. She goes, you do everything but the tambourine. And I said, oh, okay, all right, I'm cool. And then she opened up her case. She had a case of four different tambourines. She was only the tambourine player. She was not a background singer. She was wow. the tambourine player, that's it. And I'm talking, she went gospel on a bunch of tunes and that's a whole different, and I was like, okay, yes, you do have the tambourine. Yeah, <laughs> no, in the Motown, I mean, that, that Motown, that, I mean, that made that Motown sound the way, he, you know, he turned his hand, I mean, you do it, of course, Bashiri Johnson, I mean, you know, Walfredo uh, and, and, and Danny, his brother, I mean, because there's an art to that, that you don't just start, you know, shaking the tambourine. Well, one of my favorite one of my favorite tunes of the that whole era is uh, Reflections. Is it the Supremes? Is that yeah. the Supremes? If you listen to the beginning of it, it starts with the tambourine <laughs> and that groove and the sound of that tambourine is like so beautiful, man. It's like that yep. is the seventies right there. I'm sure. And it usually and they usually had a head. They usually had a yeah. you know a skin. So like yep. in Day Tripper, you know, that tambourine in Day Tripper is a, it's a major part. Who played, did Ringo play that one? I believe he did, yeah. Okay, because I know they all jumped on drums at one point, so. Oh yeah, well, well they, you know, Ringo always used to say, you know, John, and, they, John used to bring in records all the time and George that were Motown records and Ringo would, you know, they wanted him to copy and Ringo would try to tell them there's two drummers on there. And they'd be like, don't worry about it, you could do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point I was getting to before. A lot of times there's double drumming or stacked up drumming. And then you have to decide what's the integral or the main thing that pulse or that you're getting from the drum section. Because you only got four limbs, you you need eight. So you have to kind of figure it out um, of what's going to cover the most bases. But having a percussionist is what usually does it. Yeah. And and the percussion, that's that's the magic dust that, you know, you you know that's the magic dust that adds a lot of flavor and taste to music no offense well, you know something when the drums are moving around the old records they didn't use click tracks so the time's kind of going around in spots having that tambourine a great tambourine player will lock in throughout the track and they will glue it together and make it feel seamless and make the drummer sound better and make the band sound better it really does it's the, absolutely it's the special dust like you said absolutely well listen um i want to thank you guys um, so much for doing this. Um, honored. Yeah, honored to have you both here today. Honored. And then I'm happy we got to do this. And everybody should definitely check out the Paul Stanley album. It's called uh, Now and Then. Paul Stanley's Soul Stations, Now and Then. And Don't forget to get it on vinyl and special purple vinyl, David. We've got a copy of the Soul Station purple vinyl. I love the fold-out Paul Stanley and Soul Station, amazing job. This is like so much fun. This is what it feels like to have a record again. And it sounds great. You guys look great. So thank you. Our archivist, Mr. Felipe Laverde, had the, the purple vinyl. So thank you, Mr. LePew. Right on. Great. Excellent. Thank you guys so, so much. Thanks, thanks. thanks Billy. Thanks, David. Thanks, Ray. Good to see you guys. To see you guys. Modern 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 Drummer. Drummer. Everybody, don't forget, don't forget to go to Modern Drummer Shop and get your bottom shirts, right, David? Yes, there you go. There you go. Billy, we and need don't forget our- to send one to Billy. 
Yeah, and Ray. And Ray, I mean, come on. And Ray, of course. Thank you guys for Modern Drummer. get easier Ooh, child things will get brighter Ooh, child things are gonna get easier Ooh, child things will get brighter everybody stay healthy stay strong keep drumming and we'll see you next time on the modern drummer podcast thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you soon
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.